Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. Today, I've got senior editor Alan Montecilio in the stew with me. Hey, Alan. Hi. And I also have our producer, Maria Esquinko. What's up, Maria? Hello. And here's the deal. We're kind of doing something a little different today. We only get three slots a week to bring you a story, and... There's so much happening in the Bay Area that we definitely cannot get into. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Maria? Yeah. So uh, I think three slots sounds like a lot, (laughs) but there's a lot going on in the Bay Area. So we don't always really get to talk about things that we're really interested about. And so, yeah, I think we are all news people and we all have other things that we want to talk about. And we thought this would be like a cool idea to bring something a little bit different. Right. So today we're bringing you a little peek into what we call the whiteboard. Alan, can you explain what the whiteboard is or was, I guess? Well, until March of 2020, it was a literal whiteboard in our old office, which included everything from our plans for the week, you know, meetings that we had to go to and stuff, but really story ideas. The whiteboard is now a Google Doc. Thanks to the pandemic. Yeah. And so we wanted to just give listeners a peek into some of the other things that each of us uh, individually has been following beyond the sort of three day a week deep dive uh, kind of storytelling that folks are used to hearing. All right. So we'll get into all that today right after the break. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 
All right, so today, me, Maria, and Alan, the Bay team, are going to talk about three stories that were on our radars this month. Alan, I will start with you. What story did you pick? Well, my story is more of an update to an episode we did earlier this month, and that's the um, San Jose city workers' strike, or lack thereof, actually. There was going to be a strike with about 4,500 city workers beginning Tuesday the 15th. But at the last minute, the city council and the two unions representing those workers um, reached a tentative deal and the strike was called off. And it was actually going to be one of the biggest strikes in the city's history, right? Yeah. By some estimates, it would have been the largest strike of that size in San Jose since the 1980s. I mean, it would have Mm -hmm. been enormous. You're talking about workers from the airport to the zoo to the libraries, not fire and police and not garbage. But there's no doubt this strike would have had a huge impact. So what happened? How did they what was the deal that they came to? So there are a number of things in the tentative agreement. I mean, these negotiations are always very complex with pay and benefits. But really, the sticking point has always been about wage increases. And so initially, the two unions wanted pay increases over three fiscal years of 7%, 6%, and 5%. And then the city's offer was 5%, 4%, 3% over that same period. So 765 versus 543. In a literal sense, the two sides really did meet in the middle on this because the agreement that was reached was for 6% the first fiscal year, 5% the second fiscal year, and 4% the next fiscal year. So back when we did our episode on this with Guy Marzorati, I remember that the mayor wasn't exactly too enthused about potentially reaching a deal. I think His concern was reopening the budget. Um, And I think since the deal, he kind of came out with similar sentiments. But I'm curious, where does he stand now? And where does the rest of the city council stand in there as well? Yeah, I mean, I think Mayor Matt Mahan would have been happy if they did reach a deal and the deal stuck at 5%, because that's the number that he really wanted. Now, it's important to note that the mayor is not the chief decider on this. It's the city council and actually the they're the ones who empower the city manager to negotiate with the unions, I should say, voted to approve this sort of 654 compromise. And Mahan came out again and said he wasn't happy with this deal. But our council did not do its job. Our leaders were elected to represent the people, and the needs of the people took a backseat. He felt like uh, the city couldn't afford it. He had said in the past that if you go too high, the council would have to go back into the budget that they already approved to try and find the money to reach to go up from that 5% that they budgeted for up to 6%, and that that would mean cuts in important services. But in the end, I mean, Mahan was outvoted. You know, he is the mayor, he's the most public face of the city, but he was only one vote on the city council. Another council member who was really pushing to bring the council back and negotiate over this was Pam Foley. She said, look, you know, this compromise was necessary to keep city services running. We really depend on public works, Department of Transportation, Parks and Rec, all of those staffs to help make life easier for our residents. So I'm kind of curious, like, what happens next, Alan? Well, actually, as we're taping on this, the union is voting on it right now. They're widely expected to approve the deal. I mean, uh, workers that Guy kind of circled back with from his original reporting said that they were pleased to see this increase. Assuming the union approves it, the council will have to go back into the budget that they passed and find ways to get up to that 6% pay increase. And we'll see if what Mayor Mahan says is true, you know, whether or not the council really will need to make cuts in other areas that will harm residents in other ways, or 
maybe that won't be the case. Maybe there will be money elsewhere and areas that residents won't notice. We'll just have to see how it goes. I mean, you know, budget stuff is is uh, not the most exciting thing, but in the end, it's about providing services to residents. So we'll see what happens. Okay, now it's actually my turn, and I've got this really interesting story out of Fairfield, Solano County, the 707, say it backwards. Basically, what's happening is that there is a new landowner in Solano County. Actually, they're now the biggest landowners in the entire county, and no one knows who they are. So... This is a story that was actually first reported by the Wall Street Journal, and it's about this investment firm called Flannery Associates. And this firm purchased 50,000 acres of land in Solano County for nearly a billion dollars, an amount that the investment firm itself has acknowledged is actually way over market value. So they spent a lot of a lot of money on this land. And what's interesting about this story is that it's not just any land. It's actually this sort of dry agricultural grazing land that now surrounds the Travis Air Force Base on three sides. I'm curious, like, what are people saying or talking about? It's actually raising a lot of red flags, especially among lawmakers who represent this area for them like what's happening here and the fact that there is so much that we don't know about who is buying this land is raising a lot of actually national security concerns because of just the significance of travis air force base so i have this clip from john garamendi who is a democrat who represents this part of solano county just kind of talking about how important Travis Air Force Base is. Travis Air Force Base is absolutely a critical national defense. Uh, The munitions for Ukraine, a lot of that flies out of Travis Air Force Base all the way to Poland, and it is also the gateway to the Pacific. So what's happening here? We don't know. Are there any theories as to who might be behind Flannery? Um, Because that clip you played from Congressman Garamendi suggests that he, I mean, he specifically is suggesting that this is some sort of national security risk. Right. The Wall Street Journal reported that Flannery had previously told the county that the entity is basically just a bunch of American and European families looking to diversify their portfolio. And The Hill reported that the firm is registered as an agricultural company. Um, We also know from the Wall Street Journal that Flannery is registered actually in Delaware, where I didn't know this, but LLCs don't have to publicly disclose the identity of their owners in Delaware. So that sort of adds to the like difficulty around figuring out who these people actually are. But yeah, it's just sort of a weird story. <laughs> it's so spooky. Actually, the FBI and the Treasury Department and the Department of Defense are all now investigating Flannery and its investments. Um, And the reason why is because there is sort of context to this story, which is that there was a previous attempt by a Chinese-owned firm to buy up land in North Dakota. And this was a purchase that the Air Force... Uh, base there had opposed 
citing national security risk. So there is this fear that being so close to an, an Air Force base like Travis kind of sort of op- opened the door for spying. But KQED has reported that there is no evidence so far to suggest that Flannery has ties with China. Do we have any idea what these folks want to do with this land? The most we know is that earlier this week, the mayor of Fairfield, Catherine Moy, actually posted uh, something on Facebook about how she's been hearing from Solano County residents about this supposed poll that has been sent out by Flannery to Solano County residents that kind of outlines a sort of proposal for what they want to do with the land. And it includes a plan to build tens of thousands of new homes, a large solar energy farm, orchards with over a million new trees, and over 10,000 acres of new parks and open space. I mean, I think it's still kind of unclear what exactly is going to happen with this land, but I think at the end of the day, we still have no idea who is behind Flannery. It's also a little strange that the most info we know is coming from a poll that the mayor is finding out secondhand. Yeah, definitely. And also, it's kind of strange that this kind of (laughs) came out on Facebook when there's also like an FBI and federal investigations into this group. So yeah, I guess uh, it remains to be seen who exactly is behind Flannery and why are they so interested in Fairfield? (laughs) So that is my story. Um, Last but not least, Maria, what story is on your radar this month? So a story that stood out to me was the story about the family of Henrietta Lacks. They're suing a Bay Area company called Ultragenics Pharmaceutical um, based in Novato. Henrietta Lacks is a pretty, I'd say pretty famous name, but I don't know if everyone remembers her story. So can you remind us about that? We have to go back to 1951. Henrietta Lacks, she was um, a black woman at the time that had cervical cancer, and she was being treated for it at Johns Hopkins. And basically, doctors took her cells from her womb without her consent or without her knowledge. <sighs> and the and the reason they, they did that was because at the time, they were kind of trying to see if cells could survive out of the body. They had not been able to do this with anyone but um, Henrietta's cells were different. She, she's actually described as miraculous. Some people have called her cells an immortal cell line because once they were outside of her body, they didn't instantly die. And they were actually um, able to reproduce every 24 to 48 hours. Her cells have contributed, I think, to all of our lives. Her cells have been used to create the polio vaccine. They helped create the COVID vaccine. They've helped with genetic mapping, cancer care, HIV treatment. But this all happened without her consent. It was a very clear case of medical racism. And her family has obviously very strong feelings about this. One of her granddaughters, Kimberly Lacks, spoke about just her grandmother just sitting there not knowing what was going on with her. I think about my grandmother, as I said before, laying in that hospital room and how they came in there when she had radiation going through her body and horrific pain, but all they were concerned about was taking cell tissues from her body. 
So you mentioned that this actually happened to Henrietta at Johns Hopkins, but what connection does this story have to the Bay Area? So the connection to the Bay Area is that the family is suing this Bay Area pharmaceutical company that does gene therapy um, because they um, argue that like they've benefited from her cells and they this is like a multi-billion dollar company and they have been successful with a similar case in 2021 they sued another pharmaceutical company and this year actually the beginning of this month they reached a settlement with that company so basically they're suing this bay area company for profiting off of these cells exactly has the family or or their attorney said anything about this case specifically against ultragenics uh, in Nevada? Not specifically about ultragenics. The family attorney, Ben Crump, actually was on Democracy Now! And he does talk about how the lawsuit is based on this idea of genetic justice and this belief mm-hmm. that justice should flow from like one family to the, to the next. If you are unjustly enriched from the wrongdoing, then you should not be allowed to continue to benefit at the peril of the victim, which is Henrietta Lacks. At the time, they were specifically talking about this other settlement that just happened. But he did mention that they are that they plan to sue other other pharmaceutical companies. Well, that is it for the Bay's first ever August News Roundup. There's still so much more on our whiteboard <laughs> that we did not get to, but at least we got to do three more. Before. We'd, be, we'd be here a long time. We'd be here a real <laughs> long time. Uh, Maria and Alan, thank y'all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Before we go, just a little fact check. In this episode, Alan said that the agreement between the city of San Jose and its workers would provide a 4% raise in the fiscal year beginning July 2025. It's actually 3.5% unless the city has a surplus of $10 million or more. If that happens, workers will get 4%. If you're interested in reading more about the stories that we talked about today, peep the links in our show notes. The Bay is made by senior editor Alan Montecilio, producer Maria Esquinka, and me. Shout out as well to the rest of the podcast squad here at KQED. That's Jen Chien, the director of podcasts, Katie Springer, our podcast operations manager. We also get audience engagement support from Cesar Saldana, and Holly Kernan is our chief content officer. We're a production of member-supported, people-powered KQED in San Francisco. Thanks for listening. Peace. Are we ready? Let's go. Let's do this. Let's do this. We need to do do, like choir exercises or something. Yeah. (laughs) Do you consider, do you think you all can sing? Or can you like hit a note? Yes. I can make a, uh, a goat he's sound. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you just, it's we just, it, hear it. it just comes with the deal. <laughs> no, Go on. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 